0: Hey everyone, it's Aisha. And before we get into this week's episode, we have a very exciting announcement to make. Actually Verilyn's here with me too. Yeah, I was resist
1: everything in me not to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was trying to be good.
0: <laughs> anyway, we have a very exciting announcement for you all. We are doing our very first live show. Woo! Woo! Yes. So, for the first time ever, Slate will be bringing two live shows, yours truly represent, yes. and Trumpcast to the Tribeca Film Festival. Our show is scheduled for Monday, April 24th at 6.45 p.m. at the SVA Theater in Manhattan, and Trumpcast will be taping on Tuesday, April 30th at 8.15 p.m. at the same location. We can't quite reveal just yet what we'll have in store for you, (laughs) but it'll be good. And you should be on the lookout on Facebook and Twitter for announcements. Yes, 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 yes. Slate Plus members, you'll receive a discount starting at 25% off for your tickets to these shows and select festival screenings and events. Though the discount code does not apply to General Screening Matinees, the Beacon Theater or Radio City Music Hall events. Just FYI. For more information and tickets, visit slate.com slash live. We'll also, of course, link to it on our show page. And we better see y'all there if you're in New York.
2: The following podcast contains explicit language.
0: If man realizes technology is within reach, he achieves it like it's damn near instinctive. Look at us, for example. We're state of the art. Controlled metabolisms, computer enhanced brains, cybernetic bodies, Not long ago, this was science fiction. So what if we can't survive without regular high-level maintenance? Who are we to complain? I suppose an occasional tune-up is a small price to pay for all
2: this. I'm afraid we've both signed our bodies and ghosts away to Section 9.
0: What's up, y'all? I'm Aisha Harris, and this is Represent. Welcome back. You just heard a scene from the 1995 anime hit Ghost in the Shell, which has now been remade into a live action flick starring Scarlett Johansson that Paramount, DreamWorks and all the other involved parties undoubtedly hope will also be a hit. We'll see about that. We'll be talking about the new version and the controversy surrounding Johansson's casting, as well as other recent debates centering around Asian representation on screen in recent Hollywood fare, including Netflix's latest Marvel release, Iron Fist. Now, I was lucky enough to nab MTV News' Inku Kang and making his return, the lovely Alex Jung from Vulture. But first, we're bringing you a new installment of Recognize with Vera Lynn Williams, hey. my wonderful producer. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. <laughs> so just to remind listeners, Recognize is when we take just a few quick minutes to break down a character, or a show that we feel really deserves to be talked about and discussed.
1: Deserves or maybe even... Mis- surprisingly
0: pleasantly surprised yeah something that's pleasantly surprising and we you know we can't talk about everything on the mm-hmm. show at as much as we like and, and as much depth as we like but this is just a little you know teaser to get people you know interested in some like things that they m- might be fly- flying under the radar so for you you're recognized this week Verilyn, is big little lies okay so I've I've heard a little bit about the show um, I haven't watched it yet, so you're going to be informing me as well as those who haven't seen oh, it yet. So, oh my gosh,
1: so much pressure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, go. All In right. five minutes.
1: Okay. Oh my God. All right, so Big Little Lies is a book turned into a television show. It stars Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, and Charlene Woodley. And I know you're thinking, Verlin, you just named three white women— I hear you. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing (laughs) wrong with that. Especially since... Okay, so the reason I ended up binging all of the episodes um, on Sunday is because my book club read the book. And so me and my girlfriend were like, okay, let's go ahead and watch the the TV show. And I was so... Nicole Kidman. We need to just go ahead and give her an Emmy for this role. Wait, <laughs> wait. Can you
0: explain what's happening in the
1: show? Okay, so it is a it's a it's a it's a show of, of centered around moms. In the book, it's about moms in Australia, and in the TV show, it's about moms in Monterey, California. And um, the, all of these women have children in this like very elite public school, and it's all all of them are very petty. It's like the best kind of like,
0: this you is know, like Desper- it sounds like Desperate Housewives. It's
1: like Desperate Housewives meets love and hip hop. Like, it's just like,
0: <laughs> so really just real housewives of Monterey, California. There we go.
1: OK, yes, 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 exactly. And um, like I said, the community is very white, right? Um, but every opportunity they had to have a person of color, they did. So, like, it centers around this mystery, this like murder that you you learn very early on. Is I think in the first episode, there's just like this somebody is dead. The detective is black. <laughs> Both the detectives are black. The principal is is a black man. Another thing that happens is that there's an investigation where they're like interviewing people and asking them about the murder. And so, like random people that they're talking to from the school and community are people of color. Um, Zoe Kravitz, yeah, <laughs> plays. I love her. Oh my god. I, I mean. First of all, talk about her genes, right? She's just comes I mean, from all the beautifulness. I know. that that is Lenny Kravitz, and what's her mom from Denise Bonet. Lisa Bonet. Lisa I'm like come Denise. On now. I, know, I know, I know, I know. She's so, she's she obviously be Denise, but still, um, she plays Bonnie, who is one of the um, one of the wives, and in the TV show, she actually gets more of a role than she did in the book, right? And so again, like this is somebody in the book that was kind of like an off character. You get the sense that she's white because all the characters are white, but they made the choice to make her a woman of color because why the fuck not? (laughs) Amen. See Um,
0: how easy it is? It's
1: so easy. It's so easy. Um, But, you know, even though all that representation is great, I really do want to give a shout out to Nicole Kidman's performance. she I don't think it's a spoiler to say that she plays a domestic violence victim. And... Anyone that has ever come in contact with someone that's been abused or has been abused themselves or like, I don't know, like there's something about the way like there's a scene where she's talking to a therapist and just the way she plays that out. I was like, I felt it like it stayed with me. Mm. Um, It's still with me. Um, It's very powerful. Highly recommend it. And not only for her character, but also to see some people of color. Yeah. In a very white plot.
0: So, despite my hesitations to watch it, which were mainly that I've heard mixed things about it, and also the fact that it just sounded like Desperate Housewives on HBO, I should watch it. I well,
1: we already established that me and you have very different tastes. We do in television. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we do, but I do love all. Like I love. Reese Witherspoon I love okay, yes. and I enjoy Nicole Kidman yeah often, yeah, yeah. So. And,
1: and Reese Witherspoon's character Madeline is very consistent she's my favorite character actually because she's super consistent she's bitchy she's petty and I love it
0: alright so on this day we recognize Big Little Lies as a show <laughs> surprise <laughs> as a show that is doing surprisingly well at representing people of color and victims of domestic violence yes awesome thanks Rowland you're very welcome Up now, MTV news critic Ingu Kang and Vulture's Alex Jung chat with me about the new film Ghost in the Shell and where it stands as a remake and within the larger discussion happening within Hollywood right now about the whitewashing and sidelining of Asian characters in Hollywood. Thank you for joining me today, Alex. It's great to have you on.
2: Thank you. I'm always happy to be here.
0: And hey, Ingu, you are all the way in the Bay Area. I'm sure it's lovely out there.
3: It is sunny California every day.
0: (laughs) Great to hear. So I guess we should just start off by saying that Alex and I went to the screening of Ghost in the Shell last night and we we had a very interesting uh, experience. Right
2: Before the movie even started.
0: Before the movie started. (laughs) (laughs) So we were in this packed movie theater. There's a bunch of people. It's like a mixture of both critics and, you know, just people who get a sneak peek um, who aren't within necessarily within the film industry um, or the media industry. And, you know, the publicist, I think he's a publicist. He's a white dude. I don't know he he comes he's he he tells everyone hey um you know we're make sure your cell phones are off the standard fare and then at a perfect moment in between like him taking a breath someone uh on my left to the left of me in the theater yells whitewashing right <laughs> and all of a sudden the white dude stops and he's like who said that And I I was immediately brought back to high school when you're, like, at an assembly. Yes. (laughs) And people start acting up, and then the teacher's like... The principal
2: is mad.
0: Yes. He's like, who said that? And no one said anything. And he's like... I I actually don't remember what happened. Did he go to them afterwards? No, he
2: went to them immediately. So basically okay. what happened was he's like, you know, you're about to watch Ghost in the Show. I was very close to what was ha- like, I was literally because there's a press section in the middle. Right. And then the side uh, sections were occupied by, you know, uh, normal, regular. <laughs> the normals.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to call them. The lay people. I don't know.
2: <laughs> anyway. Regular audience goers. Yes. Right. Who get to see the movie. And so, you know, there was a group of black kids. And one of them was the one who yelled out the whitewashing part. And I laughed because I was so like, I. that is so correct. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the uh, PR guy was like, who said that? And then ran over to them mm-hmm. right after he like introduced the movie. And the movie hasn't started yet, mind you. Ran over the, to them and it was like, who said that? Which one of you said that? Right? And it's like interrogating them. Yes. For, it, it was wild. And then one guy stood up and he's like, you know, I'll take the heat. And leave if you want me to, right? Mm. And he was like, No, you don't have to leave. You know, this is just what I saw. Um, you don't have to leave, but um, I want to make sure that you don't say anything during the movie or whatever, right? He like turns it into this like, I want you to create a quiet movie going experience. Oh for yeah, everyone. he was totally
0: scolding him. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. Oh, uh. it was like definitely chastising him. Yeah. Um, although I I know that on Twitter it sounded like maybe he was actually kicked out. Um,
0: no, I think he was still there. Oh,
1: okay. I, I saw I him s- there. I, I never
2: I never saw him leave. Right.
1: Um, Verilynn jumping in. Yeah, I saw on Twitter, um, people were going back and forth about it. Right. And they said that he said, the somebody identified themselves as the person, and he said he was kicked out. Really? Okay. I didn't see him leave. I didn't
2: actually see that happen. Yeah, so I didn't either. Real
1: journalism here. Right. Well, yeah, whatever.
0: <laughs> I, I, I just saw him, like, I saw the white guy go away, and then he was still sitting right, there. Right, so, right. unless maybe he was, I don't know. Anyway... So many, the optics of that was not good because it was this <laughs> w- white bro PR guy going up and scolding this black, I don't, he looked like he was maybe in his early 20s, Um, this black man. And and also, had he yelled like, I love Scarlett Johansson, would he have run over and been like, no, no? are you going to say that during the movie? No, it was because he said whitewashing. And right. it's like, come on. So anyway, that was our experience. It, it definitely set the mood. <laughs> it set the tone for the rest of the, the screening. Uh, and that was just weird. Yeah. So, we're going to talk about primarily Ghosts in the Shell, but this movie touches on so many other things that are happening just in general in Hollywood with representation of Asians and Asian Americans on screen. And why don't we just jump right into it? i mean where do we start i think we should start maybe with the original first just a brief like recap of the original like what happens there and then get into the movie which in many ways is very very different um they take a huge like shift um and and
2: they make it hollywood
0: they make it super hollywood (laughs) so the original is 1995 uh, anime film really beloved i just watched it for the first time in preparation to see this movie I Alex and I were talking about it and Ingu, you've seen it, right? The anime original?
3: I have not seen it.
0: Oh, you haven't? Okay. Well, that's okay because it might actually have been maybe a better experience to not have seen it.
2: Cause... It's a it's a gloriously weird movie. Yeah. I think
0: it is. I, I definitely think it's worth seeing, but you might have liked the movie less, I think, if you had seen it before seeing the new right, one. Right, because
2: then you realize that a lot of the cool shots that the movie had were just cribbed from the anime movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, Alex, would you mind, like, talking a little bit about the originals, like, briefly somehow? Like sure.
2: That? I mean, I don't I don't know. I'm not an anime expert by any means. No, but... neither.
0: We should just preface it. At <laughs> least I'm not. Alex isn't. And nope. are you an anime expert? <laughs>
3: I am the opposite of an anime expert.
0: Okay, so listeners, bear with us. We are not anime (laughs) experts, but we do have an appreciation for these things, and we will do our best (laughs) to um, address it from a non-anime-like fan uh, perspective.
2: Right. The original Ghost in the Shell is a manga that was written in the 80s, and then, or started in the 80s, and then it was adapted for film, as you said, in the 90s. I think what I like about it is that it's very wonderfully opaque in so many ways. Yeah. Um, there's this kind of like shadowy uh, multinational corporation. There's this idea that um, uh, that we're in a future that is uh, has no nations or boundaries, and there are these cybernetic robots that are like part human, part cyborg that are weapons of, you know, that are agents and weapons in a fight. And it's kind of actually sometimes unclear what the stakes are, I think. Yeah. um, Or what exactly is happening.
0: (laughs) Right. Like, it dives into this world without explaining anything, which is the opposite of what the new version does. Right,
2: right. (laughs) Whereas the, the Hollywood movie is like, here is exactly what's happening. And it's very, very literal, right, in terms of like, we put a person's brain into a robot's body, (laughs) and that's the ghost (laughs) in
0: in the the shell.
2: (laughs) (laughs) To me, what was interesting about it is it sort of raised philosophical issues about like what constituted an identity, what constituted personhood to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas the Hollywood ones, or, you know, this one seems more, seem more interested in making it about a love story (laughs) and was more just about like memories. Right. Um, Which to me seemed a little more basic.
0: Yes. It felt very, it feels like the story we've seen many, many times in sci-fi at this point. Um, So the major is the main character in both of these movies. And this time we have Scarlett Johansson playing the major. Let's just get into the new version now. Um, For listeners, there's major spoilers uh, towards the end, the last act of the film that we learn about uh, the major and also other characters. And so for this first part, we're going to do a little non-spoilery and most of it will be stuff that's like not that surprising. And then we'll warn you before we get to the very spoilery stuff if you have not seen it or if you prefer not to know what's going to happen. So we'll warn you before we get to that part. Um, But to start off with the major... She Well, she starts off not as the major. She starts off as a, you know, I guess a a brain that has been implanted into a cy- completely cyborg body. Like it's not the only part of her that is human is the brain. And she's the first of her kind. Um, So all already, I, I don't remember that being an aspect of the no. anime film. No, it's not. Yeah. And so Juliette Binoche's character, who is a scientist, she's like, she's hoping that this could be like the start of a new... A very new project but you also have the bad guy cutter he's uh who's played by the actor peter ferdinando and he's you know the big corporate honcho who wants to use her as a weapon and doesn't they never really explain like how it's just like he's evil weapons like right. that's what he wants <laughs> uh, and it's all about scarlet or all about the major trying to you know take down someone named kuze who's played by michael pitt and that's basically, I guess, the main gist of it. We don't, like, we'll get into the other parts. But can I just have, like, your your guys' thoughts on just taking a, setting aside all the controversy about Scarlett Johansson being cast and whitewashing. What are your thoughts? I'll start with you, Ingu.
3: I kept wondering, why did they remake Blade Runner when Blade Runner already exists and is a much more emotionally compelling movie besides you know like every single plot line is telegraphed 30 minutes beforehand mm-hmm. and so like the first i don't know like 30 40 minutes of the movie is like hugely confusing because the world building is essentially here's a building block here's a building block here's a building block just remember all of these building blocks <laughs> and then every point like from from that point forward Um, every stop in the storyline is, you know, you know it's going to happen like 20 minutes before. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it just felt like waiting it out. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
3: It was beautiful, but, you know, I was basically just relieved I had something to look at while waiting for the plot to happen.
2: Right. Yeah. The production design is good. Yeah, the production design is great. The (laughs)
0: costumes were amazing. Like, I, I want... Scarlett Johansson's bodysuit—it's uh, <laughs> pretty awesome. What about you, Alex? What, what were your thoughts?
2: Um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> also, Blade Runner is already being re- remade, so right. like it's like we're gonna have like two Blade Runners in a span of like a year or two because the the new one's coming out soon, I think.
2: Uh, yeah, with, with
0: Ryan Reynolds or not, Ryan Gosling uh, and Ron Harrison Ryan. Ford. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I—it's hard for me to. It's hard to appreciate the movie I th- beyond I think pure just production value and design. Mm. Um even even the and and the the thing is it feels like a mashup of a lot of other things when you're watching it. Um like uh, it's definitely Blade Runner. It um it also reminded me just of the born identity.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Where I was just like, oh, they're just really going with that as like the main crux of the identity story.
3: Can I uh, sort of jump in yeah. and say that because the plot was so boring, I kept thinking about every other thing that this reminded me of. And so. Like, that is basically what kept me busy throughout the movie. So not only Blade Runner, which is sort of, like, the most uh, obvious reference point, but also Westworld.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Also,
3: yeah. kind of lost in translation, because who would have guessed that Scarlett Johansson would be, like, the standard bearer for, like, Tokyo as dystopia? Right. You know? It was just sort of, like... I guess I will sit here and, like, because this movie is so derivative, think about, like, every single thing it's derivative of.
2: Right. They were in Tokyo, right? Or, like, in Japan?
0: So here's the thing. In my... <laughs> this is where my limited nom- knowledge of anime comes in. But when I was reading up on the animated version of Ghost in the Shell, the director, Mamoru Oshi, I think i think yeah, pronounced... Yeah, Oshi. Oshi. He... For the original film, he reportedly based he he based the the city on hong, uh, on uh hong kong actually oh, okay. um so that it had chinese influences but i think in both versions it's supposed to be this rant like it's not a distinct place but that clearly looks kind of like an asian world right. futuristic right. world um
2: Which speaks to the movie's sensibility, which is like, to me, you know, like it, what it does is it wants to have, like, it wants to have the non specificity of being, for instance, in Tokyo, but it wants to have all of the, accoutrement of like orientalism basically right. <laughs> surrounding it so they have like geishas they have you know like giant uh, signs written in japanese mm-hmm. they have the kind of like congestion that you that you associate with cities like hong kong or tokyo or seoul and you know like they they sort of like want to take all of the things that people associate with asia or specifically in some ways japan without actually um being specific about the narrative in any way.
0: Right. <laughs> uh, the other thing that that struck me is how just like Scarlett Johansson notwithstanding, like the cast around her and the people within the city are very very international. You you've got, you know, Brits, you have black Brits, you have like African like one African I don't know, an ambassador or something who's supposed to stand in for leader of Africa or something. <laughs> they <laughs> he,
2: decided to make one, pick one.
0: Right. And so he stood in for all of Africa. And then you also have like some, you know, people who you can't really tell what they are, but they're clearly people of color. You have lots of different Asian actors. So it was this weird like hodgepodge of people. So it felt like New York, but in like Tokyo or Hong Kong. Um, Actually,
3: I would push back against that a little bit because mm -hmm. I don't think it it even felt like New York. It felt like every single Hollywood dystopia, especially sort of like every single Hollywood YA dystopia, which is basically predicated on everything being awful, but there's no racism anymore. And so you have this kind of racial utopia except it's always centered still on a white protagonist Mm -hmm.
0: right i I, by new york i meant in terms of just diversity um just in terms of it being like there it's very international lots of different ethnicities there um but yes i agree with you on that the fact that it's clearly like every other dystopia you've ever seen in every movie
3: and something that like also really struck me is that you know, so much of this movie is about how you have sort of a meat sack and then, like, your soul, right? And <laughs> it's amazing to what extent that this movie has done that to Japanese culture, which is to sort of, like, wear right. the costume of Japanese culture, and then to sort of get rid of every single, like, weird... Uh, Tension, essentially, within Japanese culture itself about race and ethnicity, and to essentially like supplant American neuroses and American compensations about race onto this fake Tokyo.
0: Right. Um, I mean, I guess that's a good occasion to sort of diving to the controversy around this right. this uh, this movie because. Even before Scarlett Johansson was cast, actually, I think at one point there was another white actress who was being talked about for the role. I think it was Margot, uh,
2: not Margot Robbie. Channing.
0: Yeah, Margot Robbie. I was going to say Margot Channing. Not I all, thought you were going with Margot Eve.
2: Martindale. <laughs> <laughs> case, I would have been okay with that. <laughs>
0: Um but Margaret Robbie, I think there were talks of her being in the uh, the film before Scarlett Johansson. And then when she got cast, obviously people were like, What? Why? <laughs> um and she has not, like many people, um, white actors recently, she has not done herself any favors um in responding to it in public. Earlier this or earlier this week, she was on Good Morning America and she was asked about, you know, asked about it, and she basically said, she called it her character quote-unquote identity lists, um, which is why it was okay for her to be cast, and she says, I think this character is living a very unique experience that in that she has a human brain and an entirely maconent body. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, I would never attempt to play a person of a different race, obviously. Hopefully any question that comes up of my casting will be answered by audiences when they see the film. So, there are a couple of things going on with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the idea that she is identityless. In some ways, to me, it, it it kind of goes with this notion that whiteness is like a blank slate that you can project anything onto. Like right. it's everything and nothing at the same time. And which gives white people carte blanche to just like play all these different roles that they, you know. Maybe shouldn't be playing right. um and it all too it also says to me it's she's kind of using the same argument that people of color use and and anyone whos feels you know they aren't represented on screen when we talk about characters who ostensibly could be played by anyone, we say, "Well, this is a fictional character, like why can't it be played by a person of color, and she's saying this person has no identity, so why can't she be played by a white person?" Except for the fact that that's always the default it right. seems. Um I don't want to get into the spoilers just yet. <laughs> but I mean, what do you, like do you guys think that it was okay that she was cast in this role after having seen the film? No. Ingu? Yes. Yes, you think Sorry. it's Sorry.
3: Okay? Wait, do you? I feel like a race traitor a little bit
0: saying Ooh, that. No, no, no. This no. makes this interesting. Yeah. Wait, okay. So why? So why do you think it's okay, or why are you um, okay with it?
3: Well, I, for me, this is not like a super clear cut case of whitewashing in the sense that, for example, Emma Stone's character in Aloha was. I think that there is definitely. You know, like I'm perfectly aware of the decades long tradition in Hollywood of white actors taking over Asian roles. But I also sort of think that the story is so general. Like we've already talked about all of the other um, movies and TV shows that this show resembles. And so for me, because it's such a non specific story, It makes sense on a certain level for Scarlett Johansson to play this particular role if we're looking at this movie, I guess, sort of like in a cultural vacuum. Um, I mean, like, I think that there are certain things that they should not have done. For example... They did not need to give Scarlett Johansson, who was known for her blonde hair and blue eyes, black hair and black eyes, in order for her to look, quote unquote, like more Asian. I had a lot more issues with like gender and sort of like racialized gender than just race itself, if that makes sense.
2: Hmm. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, like Hollywood adapts uh, Asian films all the time. Um, And then they make them in with uh, white characters um, uh, sort of just taking from the original source material. Um, that's, you know, that's common practice. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Uh, and I think that initially if the film had sort of simply done that, I would have been more okay with it than if I felt than the than what the actual plot does. <laughs> well,
0: okay. I we can't skate around this anymore. I think we should just get into spoilers. So if you're listening and you don't want to know, this is where the So this is where the for listeners, this is where the original film where this film diverges pretty strongly from the original film. And so if you've seen the original, this will still be a spoiler if you're not aware. Um so let's just get into that. So Right. What, so yeah. So
2: Scarlet's uh you know her body she thinks she's one person and she says her name is major something I don't remember Caitlin or something like that yeah (laughs)
3: Um, I think it's like Mary Killian or something Right, like
2: that. right. It's something like incredibly white. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and like vaguely Irish sounding <laughs> at that. Um, and then she realizes, like when she stops taking the drugs that suppress her like memory, she realizes that she was actually a Japanese runaway named Motoko Kusanagi, who not incidentally is the name of the original right. major from the manga and the anime. So I think, I think this is where it like actually, to me... Was the problem in some ways because I don't actually have a problem even actually even with the idea of like what would it be like if a Japanese person had been implanted into a white cyborg's body, right? Like that's like kind of an interesting question, but that's not a question that like – that's not a question of identity or – uh, gendered identity uh, or ge- or racialized gender, either of what the movie was interested in doing, it just sort of accepted this as fact in some ways, and accepted that in this world, this is something that uh, completely makes sense. And I think I assume that's sort of where Scarlet is coming from in terms of saying that you know she thinks of this as identityless. But the problem, you know, with the world building in part is that you don't really have a sense of it. It just relies on these really cheap superficial elements of like you know this is like like a mishmash of like different cultures and worlds and africa and asia right like yeah. coming together w- with white protagonists right like that's sort of uh, the world that you've created in which that that seems to be enough of an excuse to then like have her basically be a japanese runaway who does not speak Japanese.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. her
2: Japanese mom, who she meets later, only speaks her in English.
0: Right, so that 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 also <laughs> was weird to me because so her her boss at the um her her boss who we mentioned earlier, the chief uh, Ar- Aramaki is his character name. Um, he speaks in Japanese throughout the entire film and she speaks in English so like, you know, he she understands Japanese but she doesn't speak it. Right. Which is fine. Right. But then when she suddenly realizes, when she learns that she had this other identity and goes to find her, like, she she finds this thing that has an apartment number on it. So she goes to the apartment and this woman who's an Asian woman <laughs> comes out and she's like, Oh, you found my cat! Come on inside. Like, ne- like never met her. Like, and and this woman speaks in English, right? Like, which I thought was we- weird. Like, it was a weird continuity thing. And it turns out, obviously, she's her mother, right? Um, and I mean, for me, the the way my my problem with that, the way this it turns out, she was an Asian woman in her other life, Scarlett Johansson. Is that it felt like I could see the wheels turning in some writer or executive's head where it's like, we know we're going to be accused of whitewashing. Like, this is happening right now. So maybe we can make this a little bit better by, you know, having her actually have been a Japanese woman. (laughs) But so so that she's somehow representing a Japanese character, like the Japanese woman, is, still exists within the story. It's just that now Scarlett Johansson, who is way more of a bankable star than any Japanese, like Japanese actress or Asian actress we can think of, uh, will will play the the lead character. And well,
3: yeah, can we back up a little bit though? Because like one thing that I almost liked in this movie. <laughs> is the fact that she has these two moms, essentially, right? She has her real mom who uh, gave birth to... Uh, I guess, like, the person that, like whose brain she's from, the Mutoku. And then she has, and then Major, Scarlett Johansson's character, also has a kind of, like, Dr. Frankenstein mom, right. played by Juliette Binoche. Mm-hmm. And, like, again, I, I thought it was also interesting that, like, when we find out about the lover, he's also a Japanese man named Hideo, who is put into a white person's body. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like if we're in a generous mood i would say well i mean like of course these white scientists are going to use white they're going to have like white babies quote unquote and so like for them it doesn't matter that they are putting these japanese people into white bodies like you could sort of almost look at that kind of default whiteness as part of the villainy in the movie
2: it's reverse get out Yes, (laughs)
3: Yes.
0: <laughs> Reverse get out. <laughs> but but yeah, I that's actually a good point.
2: No, no, that, I and I think that that is interesting, but I think that the, there's no real savvy or uh yeah. you do, do it's just there's no understanding to me that that this is a world or identity or something that is interesting to sort of explore. Right. It's just kind of done and accepted. Or, or your the audience is expected to just accept that as the default. And I think that's sort of where the problem comes in for me. Exactly.
0: And I think that goes back to your point, Ingu, earlier about the fact that this movie doesn't deal in any way with race. Like, even though there are all these different ethnicities and people, like, in this world, it's as if racism doesn't exist. And so to have something so stark that, like, harkens back to all of these examples of... Like the body being experimented on for people of color, um, especially by the by the United States um, for for medical purposes and for technological purposes and having all of that history and not even trying to engage with it a little bit and just saying this is what it is. I mean, I I mean, granted, I don't know if I would trust a big Hollywood movie to do that, but the fact that they didn't even seem to try was like my big issue with it. Yeah.
3: I I mean, if for example, if this movie were a pilot and then the rest of the season sort of talked about like mm. I mean, so much of this movie is sort of predicated on this question of belonging and family and community because the Scarlet Johansson doesn't have any of that. And so for me, especially with all of these like parallel mother daughter relationships, the first thing the first question for me would be what is it like to finally find your mother but also realize that you no longer look anything like your mother because of this thing that's been done to you and so if the movie had had a whole season to develop this idea about like what is my identity now now that it's been put into this like utterly foreign thing like that would have been actually interesting and I feel like maybe that's where sort of part of my forgiveness toward the movie comes in because I feel like there's potential. It's just that the execution is like piss poor.
2: Right. And then I I, I I am sympathetic to that. Um and I it is something that I think about. But uh you know, as we sort of talked about before, you know, we don't exist in a cultural vacuum either. And yes. so the fact that like the the sort of identity switch also needs to happen in this way speaks to me more about you know it speaks more about capital and production and how we sort of view uh, who is marketable and bankable than it is about the narrative itself.
3: Um, I I really want to go back to that too. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, no, no you should. You should. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk over a man this time. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yes, feminism.
3: (laughs) I mean, like, the movie is so special effects driven. I do not understand why they couldn't have an Asian star. Like, I understand that Scarlett Johansson is a big name. Right. But we currently live uh, right now in a film landscape that is dominated by you know, name recognition and intellectual property. Like the conversation about how there's no such thing as a bankable movie star. Like this is an old industry narrative by now. Like the chief reason to watch this movie is the special effects. And Mm -hmm. it's not like Scarlett Johansson, who is a great actress, that like, it's not like she brings in any human chemistry. She doesn't bring in any sort of, like warmth or humanity the way that she even did in the movie her when it was only her, her voice right it almost sort of reminded me of that under is it underworld which is like about vampires oh with kate the world.
2: beckinsale oh yeah yeah,
3: yeah. like who, <laughs> i mean like sorry but like who cares about kate beckinsale like it could have been almost like literally anyone in that role and that movie would have done gangbusters and that's how i feel about this movie like you don't
0: need Scarlett Johansson. Right. No, you don't. I mean, that's the thing, right? Also, it's not... Like, Ghost in the Shell isn't an unknown property. So I feel no. like it on its own, like, you could have cast anyone in this role and people would still go see it. Um, I mean, is, isn't is the answer, though, like... Or at least the answer that Hollywood always gives is, is, like, it's China. It's like, we want an international audience and if we don't have a star there who is almost always white, with the exception of, like, maybe Will Smith at this point. Like, if we don't have a star there, it's not going to sell overseas. Now, that's not a true statement whatsoever, but that is the narrative they are always... That's what they fall back on every time.
2: I'm also... I mean, just in general, this is my own gripe. I think I'm really tired of the profit motive being the uh, acceptable explanation Mm -hmm. that everyone is sort of like, okay, that makes sense. You should make... (laughs) As much money as possible, but
0: that's the thing, right? Regardless, regardless
2: of anything else. Well, we right? live in
0: America, and capitalism is like what we like. You can't. What's what's that line? It's like by Jay Z. It's like men lie, women lie, numbers don't. It's like we only care about numbers. Numbers are the the end goal, and you can't deny numbers. So that's what they fall back on. I agree with you that it should not be that way,
2: right? But I'm just getting very tired of it, especially. It, yeah. And and then and then it also makes me a little worried. In some ways when like movies like Get Out and Hidden Figures do so well. And the argument for why the argument becomes a one around capital, too, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, makes me uncomfortable. Because, I, again, I don't think the profit motive should be the sole reason why you make things, right? Why yeah. you make, di- you know, films with people of color in them as the stars. Like, I, that's a bad reason uh, to me to make a movie. And so... Anyway, sorry, I just had to no, throw that gripe in there.
0: Very true thoughts. I mean, if we wanted to fold in, we have. So this is not obviously the only, the only movie or TV show right now that people are accusing of whitewashing. We also have, you know, Iron Fist, which <laughs> came out uh, last week on Netflix, and the controversy around that is the fact that this it's the newest Marvel TV show to enter into the TV world. And the lead character, Danny Rand, is played by a white actor named Finn Finn Jones. Jones. Um, And he also has not done himself any favors with some of the comics he's made. But here's the thing is that like it's not quite the same – so it's not quite the same – I don't know, what's the word? The, it's not doing the same things that like Ghost in the Shell is. Like, it's not really whitewashing technically because the original comic book character right. was also white. Right. Um, the issue is, is that people just saw an opportunity and, you know, the writers decided not to take it. Right. And, I mean, why, like, that also couldn't be, ca- like...
3: I it, mean, I don't think... I haven't seen Iron Fist, but it doesn't seem to be completely innocent. of uh, so
0: bad, and it's so bad. <laughs> don't watch it. I I watched the first two episodes and I was bored out of my it's mind. It's so bad. Yeah, it's just don't. It's
3: still essentially about like a white guy who goes to Asia to do to learn ninja and then ends up being like the best ninja, right? Yeah. Like,
2: yep. that, oh no, you've was... seen it before, even though you haven't seen
3: it. <laughs> I have a feel about everything Marvel. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, but
0: it, what was the argument for doing that? Like. Because you interviewed the the actor Louis Tan, who I was did. apparently sort of I don't know if the runner-up, or he was like that's w- what it
2: felt like, right? Yeah, he yeah.
0: he was one of the he was close to having the role right. that Finn Jones plays, right. and that was a that your conversation with him on Vulture was very fascinating, yeah. Um, especially one one reason not to watch Iron Fist is that the fight scenes are pretty terrible. Oh, they're
2: awful. Like. They're uh, terribly chore- choreographed,
0: yeah. and when when your entire show rests on like kung fu and right. and 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 fighting, I expect it. To, and, and it's a Marvel show. I expect right. it to be very good. Right. Um, it is not. But Louis Tan is actually a martial artist.
2: Yeah, and so is his dad. Yeah. Um, there's there was a tweet that was going around that was of like a fight scene from Iron Fist. Uh, one scene that featured forty cuts. <laughs> And it's just like a great encapsulation of like how badly made this movie or this TV show was. Um, and the fact that, you know, they hired someone who couldn't fight, right? He couldn't do the stunts in any way necessary, in a convincing way necessary. And so they had to do a lot of camera tricks around him. Yeah. Like you just see a fist, right? Yes. An iron fist. <laughs> um, like popping in and out of the frame. Uh, But yeah, no. So I talked to Louis Chan, who plays, he appears in episode eight as um, he's like, he does drunken kung fu. um, And he is, you know, essentially a one off villain uh, that Danny Rand has to go through um, in the plot. And so he's only in it for like, I don't know, five, six minutes or so. It's a pretty short scene. And they have a fight scene. And it's arguably the best fight scene because he, he's just he moves beautifully. Um, And he sort of thinks about martial arts in a way that I think is really interesting, too, because I think he thinks of it in the tradition of someone like Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan, where it's a way to move your body and a way to express certain ideas through uh, a different art form. Right. Um, And he's you know, it helps that he's like. Thirst Trap. Like, he is hot. He's very hot. He's really hot. He's half Chinese. His father, Philip, was, um, like, grew up as an orphan in China, like, learned kung fu and martial arts, became a stunt coordinator in Hollywood, um, worked on Batman, you know, things like that. Okay, Um,
0: so, see, he has all the qualifications, it seems, to play this role. And (laughs) and he's a good actor. And yet, somehow, like, Finn Jones got it and and so somehow somehow so
3: again so we twice
2: as good to get half as much
3: (sighs) so with all of these different projects we the issues that we're talking about keep changing and i think that's something that we have to keep in mind um with aloha for example it's literally about like a white actress playing a half asian half hawaiian person Um, With Ghost in the Shell, it's about the American appropriation or reappropriation of a Japanese property with iron fist. It's a very different thing with the rehashing of a really old, really racist trope. And I think it's important to keep in mind when we're talking about all of these issues that it's not just one issue that we have to contend with. It's all of these like weird little variations that... We have to think about, like, how much does this matter when we're looking at a project?
2: Yeah, there are a variety of ways Asian Americans get screwed over in Hollywood. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) no shortage. (laughs) No shortage of ways. (laughs) (laughs) So now we'll move into our plus or delta segment. Uh, I think after sort of uh, checking in with both of you, it seems like this movie is our delta for this week. I think we can all say that. Sure,
2: I'm okay with that. works
0: for me. Awesome. So that's our delta. So let's go to happier things and go with our pluses. Uh, Ingu, would you like to go first?
3: Sure. Last week, um, I don't know how many people really out there watch a MBC. NBC sitcom called Superstore. I love it. Okay, good. Yay, one person. One
0: other person. (laughs) I haven't caught up with it yet, but I will.
3: It's essentially a show that takes place in a sort of Walmart-like store and looks... It's sort of like if The Office took place in a Walmart. Um, But it's a little bit more diverse than The Office. And there's a character that I had really liked from the beginning named Mateo. I who love Mateo. played by Nico Santos, who we learn in season one is an undocumented worker. And so he uses a fake social security card. And the reason why I've always liked this character is that he is not just an undocumented worker who gets sort of like a very special episode. But he's kind of this like petty, mean guy who, you know, basically argues that undocumented workers are not, are not always angels. Sometimes they're, like, that really, like, passive-aggressive coworker that you can't stand to be around. They're just people. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that Superstore did last week was have an episode about him revisiting his immigration status, which I thought, you know, in the Trump era was sort of much more relevant. And he, his character, in addition to being undocumented is gay and has a relationship with sort of like the district manager of the fake store in the show. And essentially because of that relationship, he had to transfer out of that manager's um, area. And because he can't tell his boss slash boyfriend that he's undocumented, he sort of has to try to figure out like, how do I negotiate my situation where I can keep my relationship and keep my job and it was probably like the most layered three-dimensional depiction of being an undocumented worker that i have seen Mm -hmm. and so i really want to give a shout out to that episode
2: awesome that's
0: a great great
2: plus it is great Mm. Um, especially because I love that show and I love Mateo so much. <laughs> uh, my plus is just something small uh, that is maybe uh, has spe- has a specific place in my heart. But um, I was talking to Joe Morton, who plays Eli Pope. Yeah, I love him. I love him. Ah! Um,
1: so you're not going to just say that you were talking to him as if, like, it's not a
2: big <laughs> <laughs> like, so We I was were like, texting. <laughs>
3: just
0: chilling. <laughs>
2: Um, I was I was talking uh, I was interviewing uh, Joe Morton uh, who plays Eli Pope on Scandal uh, for Vulture, um, because he had a big episode, and one of the things that I wanted to ta- just talk to him about was Brother from Another Planet.
0: Yes, such a good movie. Such a good movie. Everyone should check it out.
2: It's amazing. Yeah, it's a John Sayles film from the eighties. Um, Afrofuturist. Uh, he plays a uh, mute. Character, mm-hmm. and it's brilliant. Yeah, uh, he's just brilliant in it. Um, and the interview is great. He, I love Joe Morton. Um, I think he's really honest about his experiences in Hollywood. Um, and he's gotten a lot of really raw deals. Anyway, one of the things that he did mention, though, when I brought up Brother from, from Another Planet, is that it's being developed uh, for television uh, by John Sales, ah. and that John Sales wants him to be in it in some fashion. Um, and you know, it's a great movie especially to think about right now is and what you're talking about with undocumented immigrants too because in a lot of ways it's a it's a you watch it now and you'll think about ice officials trying to catch um immigrants you know like it it sort of calls to mind um a lot of what's happening right now um in this regime yeah um and to have joe morton in a role like that i think would be so fun um and i you know i like The idea of sci fi exploring the possibilities uh, around race and belonging and immigration and all of these things that um, can happen but are often not explored.
0: Yeah, like so. in Ghost in the Shell. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, you know, that that was just like a little plus, it's ah, like a little plus of I like love, a possible de- TV development. That I, I think love is that little plus. That's yeah. a
0: great little plus. Um, my plus is also little as well. Or, you know, it's not a huge thing, but I'm very excited that Grace and Frankie season three has dropped. Um <laughs>
2: I love this show. <laughs> Wait, I didn't know this about you. <laughs> I love
0: Grace and Frankie. It is season three. It's on Netflix. It stars Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, who I I adore both of them. Uh-huh. And I just love I look, I I there I have been accused of and rightfully accused sometimes of being ageist, uh, in my state like offhanded statements or whatever because I'm a millennial and, you know. I feel like every, every generation, they feel some sort of way towards older people. But what I love about the show is that it centers old people's experiences in a way, like it's sort of like the Golden Girls, but like way more modern. Like they talk about sex very frankly in a way the, that the Golden Girls did back way back when, um, especially because Lily Talman's character, Frankie, is like, she's sort of like this hippie woman who um, is trying to get her vibrator company off the ground she's Mm -hmm. trying to sell vibrators for and specifically for um older people Mm. and so in the first episode i've only gotten so far into the first episode of the new season but in the first episode her and grace are trying to get a loan together to get this product off the ground and they go in to ask for a loan and they're like can we get a a loan like with 10 years to pay it back and slowly it dawns on them the guy's like no not 10 years or like seven or like no and it's like he thinks we're gonna die in like a year right. <laughs> it's like, it's, so like just those little like those little things I just and it's a delightful show it's a great cast the basic premise of the show is that Grace and Frankie um, their husbands were like prominent lawyers and they've been married for years and then their husbands admit that they are in love with each other and have been and so they leave them for each other Mm -hmm. and then grace and frankie who never really like liked each other too much because they were very opposite people they you know they forge a friendship Mm -hmm. um out of their their grief uh and it's just a great cast them martin sheen sam watterson as their their husband or ex-husbands i just i love grace and frankie (laughs) and i'm glad it's back (laughs) it's making me happy
3: but why do you need a different kind of vibrator if you're an older person.
0: Uh, so, they get, their hands get, you know, uh, arthritis. <laughs> Seriously! <laughs> you know, you get more arthritis that way. You uh, need
2: an ergonomically friendly...
0: Exactly. <laughs> and with that, it was such a pleasure having Alex and Ingu on. Ingo, I'd love to have you back on. It was, it was great chatting with you. I would love to be back. Yeah, and... Check her workout on MTV News and Alex's work at Vulture. And thank you both.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: And that is all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to us. I really enjoyed recording this episode. Uh, it was great to have. Verilyn on to recognize big little eyes earlier it's always a pleasure to have my producer pop in from time to time i hope y'all enjoy hearing her voice as much as i do (laughs) and it was also awesome to have ingu and alex come on to discuss asian representation and ghost in the shell. You should come to our Facebook page, which is being managed by the wonderful Marissa Martinelli at Slate. She is great. She's awesome. She has been putting up all of those wonderful links. So you should come and talk to us. Let us know what you think about the show. And of course, if you are not already doing so, you should subscribe to us on iTunes, Megaphone, Stitcher or any other place you find your podcasts. And continue to rate us if you have not already but please only rate us if you really really like us if you don't just you know don't tell us you don't have to (laughs) represent is produced by the lovely and amazing verilyn williams the executive producer of slate podcast is steve lichtai andy bars is chief content officer of panoply and you can follow us on facebook and twitter at slate represent The music you're hearing right now is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band, Midtown Social, who are also dropping their first album in a few weeks. And we'll put a link to their website on our show page. Until next time.